welcome back. We got another Behind the Yellow Line full crew tonight. Jeremy is here. Randall is here. I am Ronan. Spring training underway. The Cubs have their first game this weekend. We got a lot to get to. Got some good spring training vibes. We got the Cubs owner being an idiot. We got some bullpen help coming. So lots of things to get to here. Uh, But I would say the most exciting thing right now is just sort of seeing pictures and videos and all that coming in from Mesa is awesome. And this Friday, guys, we're going to get Chicago Cubs baseball again. So I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah, it's like a little tease you get, you know, you get you start getting these little videos and uh, photos being put out and you're just waiting waiting for the real thing. They're just giving you that little taste. And uh, yeah, as you said, on Friday, we're going to see Cubs baseball and we're going to see Cubs baseball for the first time. And, you know, and it's going to go on all summer, all through the spring, all through the summer into the fall. Yeah. And it's going to be super exciting. And that's what I'm excited for. Yeah. It's always nice. Every spring you get the videos of the players taking infield, taking batting practice, the pitchers throwing their bullpens and their live BP. It's a, a nice, I'd say it's a nice reprieve from the winter. We haven't really had a winter here, but the, the calendar turns yeah. just the same. And it's always nice to see everybody in camp. You know, the I saw a tweet the other day, or maybe it was on Instagram or something that said, this is the first Sunday without pro football, right? Until August when, when camp and exhibition games are starting again. And I know a lot of football fans have that feeling. I'm more of the belief that all right, Super Bowl's out of the way. It's baseball time, right? It's baseball from now. Like you said, Jeremy, this is 95% of my sports attention from now until October, and that's the way I prefer it. Yeah, you know, there's there's two milestones every winter or every early spring. The end of the Super Bowl generally means that pitchers and catchers are reporting, usually that week, and then the college basketball championship. When that goes off, then everything else is off the calendar. So we've hit the first of those two milestones. I agree with you, Ronan. I'm 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 in all the way on baseball. And I love, you know, once Super Bowl ends, you know, you see all the tweets, the it's baseball season. I'm right there yeah. with you. And and we start, as you mentioned, you start seeing guys, you know, come I get I get hyped when I see uh, you know, the truck truck day go out, the truck yeah. start the going truck out day. to yeah to uh Mesa. And uh, I'm excited for the spring training because there's a lot there's a lot that's the same and there's a lot that's different. You know, we we, we heard from Craig Council, uh, some differences. Uh hey, like Christopher Morrell, you know, I, I'm excited to see some third yeah. base action there. So I think that's pretty interesting. Uh, I don't know, Randall, you're always on. You got the finger on the pulse. I feel like a lot of the the yeah. Cubs fan on Twitter. But what did anything like you noticed from the players reporting in that you thought was interesting? Yeah, you know, really nothing terribly out of the ordinary. A lot of infield, a lot of key guys were there early. I think Adbert has noted that a few times that a lot of the position players reported with the pitchers, which is always nice to see guys there before they have to be. Um, yeah, that seems like it's been a, a pretty drama free. I know there was a, a little bit of an issue with Morel's visa over the off seasons, why he was not at Cubs convention, but he's in camp. So whatever the issue was, he clearly got it ironed out. And uh, other than certain free agents, uh, I don't think they're waiting for anybody to report to camp still, which is good. You know, I'm I'm enjoying the spring training content. I think it's actually been really nice here in Denver. It was like 60 degrees today. I was in shorts, sun's out. But you get those days where it's like cold and gray, those, those Illinois March days or February days, and then you see the guys working out. And I, there were a couple pictures that sort of had me going, damn, like here we go again. Kyle Hendricks, right? And it's not the same Kyle Hendricks as the 2016 champ right? But still seeing Kyle Hendricks in a uniform on the mound, that got me a little bit. And I'll say there was another player that I was excited, Advert. I got high hopes for this guy this year. He's such a likable Cub. There were just a couple pictures for me that came in and I said, oh yeah, 
we get to watch advert maybe close this year that's gonna be fun so it was cool to see that stuff come in yeah, yeah you I get agree. to see Adbert. You get to see Adbert hyping up uh, Imanaga. He's sitting there yeah. watching Imanaga's bullpen, cheering him on. You get to see uh, Jordan Wicks next to Kyle Hendricks on the the you know the those where they, where they got four or five pitchers mounds lined up next to each other, and it looks like Hendricks is throwing him a pitch grip. It's a, those little slice of life photos you get out of early spring training, where the games have started. Guys are just getting their work in. They're learning from each other, learning new things. It's again, it's a good sign that we are we're there, and spring training has started. And uh, I, I agree with you. Yeah, Adbert and Imanaga, you know, that looks like a, a, a friendship. And hopefully it's, it becomes a yeah. strong one with the, both those guys producing. And, uh, you know, what? I'm going to bring up something that I, I, I don't actually see on the rundown that I'm a little surprised it's not on there. And we're talking about what we're first noticing. And, and maybe we're going to get on a couple of rants on this subject. Oh, first noticing <laughs> at spring training. How about these absolute trash uniforms <laughs> it's all i can say because i was thinking seeing the first tweet i think the one of the first tweets i saw was imanaga pitching and the back of his uniform saying imanaga and like these little almost you know letters that are that they look like they're ironed on almost uh i it's just not good it's not good guys Jeremy, as you said, you can tell even from the low quality social media grade quality videos that go out that the backs of the jerseys don't look right. The letters aren't raised. They aren't they don't look sewn on the the numbers don't look sewn on. Like you said, the letters are arched very strangely. They're smaller. I have not seen anyone who isn't a, a Nike sponsored player with any good things to say. And even then, all their good things to say are about the jersey fabric themselves you know for as much as we care about that and yeah the, the, the jerseys do not look good this spring Dansby Swanson was complaining that they got the Cubs shade of blue wrong which is a travesty of course because it's the greatest shade of blue it, yeah I haven't seen anyone who not on Nike's payroll with anything good to say about it I think the hats are trash too I, I hate the color uh the primary color of the hat um I don't like that the bill and the primary color of the hat are different I like the logo on the hat. The walking bear is a great Cubs logo. I think the hats look awful. And the other problem with the hats right now, it's only going to get worse as spring training goes on. The color blue that it is, you can see the players sweating through it. So you look at a picture. I saw a picture of Kyle Hendricks, and you can see like a sweat ring at the bottom of the hat. It's disgusting. I, 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 I have a real problem with what has happened to MLB jerseys. I have a problem that's happened to jerseys everywhere. Jeremy, you called this out in our chat the other day. Whatever the hell Indiana was wearing the other day in that basketball game, why is this happening, right? Like, what, what, I, I, I hate it. I hate how at the All-Star game, teams aren't wearing their team jerseys. They're wearing these ugly league jerseys. So, yeah, I don't like the way that that looks, but it's good to see the guys actually playing ball. And I don't think these jerseys are going to translate well when games are on TV. I, I agree with you. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just, like... We're talking about what we see when we because we, we don't get to see so much of spring training in these early days. Like you, you can pop up marquee. They might have a little bit of the highlights on one of their shows or something. But like we're not getting all this video necessarily other than little snippets that we can see on Twitter. But seeing these uniforms in action and when they were first produced, like it's just the way I, the first one I saw was Miles Michaelis of the Cardinals. Uh, it just looks like a knockoff. It, these look like yeah. like Randall. If we were at Wrigley Field. And you saw fans wearing these jerseys. Randall would be smirking. I would have them. something. I would have something to say about it. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. I just want to say, like, I got a Dansby Swanson jersey as a gift last year. I'm happy 
I got that gift last year because yeah. he wants like I want to go out and just buy up a stock of like I should have bought up like nine old Majestics, but I, I want to go up and buy a stock of all these Nike jerseys because they got to do something about this because they look like trash. And I agree with you, Ron, about the hat. It would be like a fine, just like as a new era hat that they just want to sell. But yeah. wearing them with these uniforms, the blue, the blues don't match. It just it doesn't look like. And I, I like the walking bear, but I, I don't like this hat. Right now, now the good news again, to whatever extent this matters, is that. These are only spring training hats. They will go out of regular use um, as soon as spring training ends. But I, I agree. It's it's a clashing color. It's not a great look. I think they'll look okay for the few spring games where the Cubs wear their home whites, but that's only the first two, maybe three games. And then, of course, they wear their blues the rest of the time. And I agree. It's going to be a contrasting and clashing color. And, Jeremy, you make an excellent point. If anybody out there is looking for a Cubs jersey, go see if any of the retailers are still unloading last year's stock. You probably get it for cheaper, and you'll get a, a better product. And there's one more thing I want to clear up here. There's a lot of people not sure kind of who to blame for this. Do you blame Nike? Do you blame Fanatics, who is now weaseling their way further into the the, the realm of producing on-field apparel. Uh, from what I understand, and this is courtesy of Paul Lucas, who runs the Uni Watch blog. I've been a reader of his for a very long time, and it's a lot of being in the weeds about minutia like this. This is Nike's design. They designed the fabric. They, I assume, had some say in how the lettering and the numbering was going to look, but Fanatics is manufacturing them. They're acting as a, like a subcontractor. They're manufacturing these jerseys to Nike's specifications at their factory, which they now own because they purchased Majestic uh, lock, lock, stock, and barrel uh, six, seven years ago. So this is Nike's design, but it is being manufactured by Fanatics. You can blame however, whomever you want. I'm not going to stop anyone from blaming Nike or Fanatics, but that is how the design and the production uh, are divvied up in this case. It's a mess. I it blame is. Tom Ricketts. I blame a lot sure. of things on Tom Absolutely. Ricketts. Yeah, it's it's the owners, 100%. Blame, blame him. I will say... We don't know how good we had it. We do now with Majestic. When Majestic was Majestic before it got bought out by Fanatics and then all this other crap has happened. Um, when A few years ago when Major League Baseball went from Majestic to Nike, I did buy, and I'm not a jersey guy, I bought two Cubs, two Cubs jerseys um, to get the last stock of Majestic. And they were on discount. I think Nike was already out at that point. They were getting rid of the end of Majestic, and I'm really glad I did that. Because now I have them. I don't wear them much. They're in the closet. They're ready to go. They look good. The quality is right, right? It's awful what they look like now. And I've noticed that uh, NHL fans are starting to sweat because yeah. Fanatics is taking that over next year. And, man, I know you guys are hockey people and you own sweaters. You can't mess up hockey sweaters. Just like you can't mess up baseball jerseys. And they have messed up baseball jerseys. And there, there's a cottage industry out there of people noting having received fanatics produced merchandise that is incorrectly made or it is low quality. It dissolves after like one wash or, you know, you, you pull it the wrong way once and it tipped. Now, I grant that that's a, a sample size thing. The fanatics is making a lot of stuff now. A lot of people are buying it. And the more of something there is, the more opportunities there are for something to go wrong. But it, it's still a noteworthy thing. There are people out there who note Every time that somebody contacts Fanatics support saying they didn't receive an item or they didn't receive it on time or they received it and it's a, like a Philadelphia Eagles green sweatshirt, but it says New York Giants on it. It's a cottage industry out there. I really have not seen anybody say, hey, yeah, Fanatics stuff is uh, well-made and reasonably priced and we like it. I've never seen anyone say that.
The only thing Fanatics has going for it is it's easy to order from, right? Great. They've got a, their site is good. They always have things on sale, but the quality is not good. I can definitely no. speak to that. And I've got majestic apparel in my closet. I have stuff I've bought from Fanatics that's not jerseys. Night and day difference between quality and uh, the way that they've held up over time. Right. Oh, and, and just one more, one more great nail in the coffin here. Uh, the MLB jerseys now cost more if you are buying one as a yes. fan. So you are paying more money for a markedly lower quality product. Jeremy, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go. You're right on that because I saw some of the prices the other day. They're going on Twitter and like $400 for like just, you know, uh, you want to buy like, let's just pull a name out of thin air, but like a Michael Bush jersey, it's like 400 bucks. It's like for that, for this year's, you know, that what it looks like. And speaking of what it looks like, like it looks like all these players right now are wearing like youth meet like youth large replicas like i saw michael kopech had on like michael kopech's a broad guy and the the lettering and the numbers look so small on him they look like like a, a crappy replica or knockoff and i i know that that's like the new design but i can't imagine it if they wanted to go back to like the numbering and the lettering and the of the previous years i feel like they probably could they could keep the material right but uh, so hopefully this gets like sorted out, in my opinion, by the, uh, you know, regular season, because I can't imagine like there has to be backlash at the MLB offices and with Nike sure. and stuff like there has to be. And like nobody's going to go out and pay 400. I mean, some people will. But like I bet the sales are got to be going down and pay 400 hours for this, like what it looks yeah. like. It's just it just seems crazy to me. Yeah. If it weren't for the lettering and the numbering, I don't think a lot of the complaints would be nearly as vocal because what the fabric i mean nobody cares about the fabrics we're not yeah, i don't care how care. the pants fit yeah. on the players no exactly offense. no we not, we, none of us care about that we will never be in mlb uniform on an mlb field during a game uh so the fabric whatever nike can make it lighter and thinner whatever and nobody cares it's how they look and that's most of the complaints that jeremy yeah i don't know how the lettering and the numbering got screwed up this badly if part of their calculations were that taking off the heavy twill makes it lighter. I don't know how badly that gets screwed up. Uh, and another great nugget, because again, there is nothing but great nuggets coming out of this story. The Cardinals, whom I'm typically loath to mention, but they have eliminated their spring training jersey, their red tops, which they would only wear during the spring. They have eliminated those. Um, and as such, they're in-season alternate jerseys. They have a cream-colored home jersey and a powder-blue-colored road jersey. Those might not be ready for their first road trip of the season. They start the season, I believe, on the road, and those alternate jerseys may not be ready because they aren't being used this spring. And again, I'm certainly not going to lose sleep over the Cardinals not being able to wear their fancy throwback alternates on the road, but it's still funny. It doesn't seem like any part of this was really rolled out effectively or properly for anyone. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, the Cardinals, uh, I, I got to say, that sounds exactly like fanatics to me, <laughs> that they won't have yeah. them ready on That's time. right. Cardinals they, ordered them and they won't they be ready on time. Them. Exactly. But as you said, I don't feel sorry for the Cardinals either. No. Uh, they play each other this year in spring training at Sloan Park, right? So we'll actually they do. see the Cardinals for the first time. And I don't know if it's ever happened uh, 50, 60 years ago, but uh, a rare sight here. We'll get Cubs Cardinals in spring training. It is. It is a rare sight. I, I don't know offhand if the Cardinals ever trained in Arizona or if at any point 
back in the day, maybe they met up somewhere. Maybe at Catalina Island back in the yeah. 30s or something. They, they hung out for a week and played some ball. Uh, but it's cool that we'll see uh, some Cubs Cardinals in spring training. I've got one other clothing-related thing, and then let's talk some Cubs transactions here. I thought you guys would appreciate this. Uh, Super Bowl Sunday, I was out walking Huxley before the game, and I was really debating, like, what do I wear for the Super Bowl? I wore all Cubs gear. I had a Cubs shirt on and a Cubs hat. So I'm walking down the street, Cubs shirt, Cubs hat. This guy's walking towards me, Rocky shirt, Rocky's hat. He says, hey, man, do you know what today is? And I'm like, well, uh, the Super Bowl, right? I didn't know really where he was going. He goes, it's the last thing between now and baseball. That's how I see it. And this is a Rockies fan, right? He's not exactly anticipating a winning season here, but I was a nice moment with another baseball fan here and kind of brings full circle, you know, what we're saying here at the top of the show. Uh, But the Cubs have improved their roster since the last time that we've been together. One of the things that I felt was very prevalent among the fan base is, why are you not addressing the bullpen? Why have we not legitimately improved this bullpen? They've made some moves and things, but nothing major. Well, you get the major signing here. Hector Neris on board, one year, $9 million. It's incentive-laden. It could balloon all the way up to about $23 million. This is a veteran, hard-throwing, high-quality reliever the Cubs have just added to the back end of that bullpen. I agree with you, and uh, I thought it was interesting the other day that um, – it wasn't today or yesterday – where Craig Council said, you know, Adbert's he doesn't have it locked down as being the closer, so we'll see how that goes throughout spring training. Personally, I think it will be Adbert, and uh, Norris here will probably be in a setup role, you know, more along the lines. But the last few years, this guy's been a, a legitimate, as you said, with the Astros, with the Phillies uh, – closer and then everything I've heard is he's like a great club clubhouse guy as well. So yeah, I think it's a good signing and, and it, it, I was surprised at kind of how cheap he was. I know it's incentive laden could build, but this is a guy who's been, he goes out there and he throws isn't it. And he throws a ton, right? You get innings from Hector Norris. So I, I, I think it's a good signing. I like them addressing it. I'm not like always a big go out and give big contracts to bullpen guys, but one year, 9 million, you got an option for next year. It's incentive laden. He has to go out and prove it. He gets it. It's based on appearances. So, you know, if he's not necessarily pitching well, he's not going to get those appearances. So I I'm all for this deal. I, I think, I don't think he's the elite elite type, like relief pitcher. I, I think he's kind of a step below, like top, you know, 20, 30 kind of reliever. But uh, I think it's, it addresses a big need, which is we need more uh, dependable arms in the bullpen, yeah. I'll say. And so I'm a fan of it. Yeah, I hadn't seen Council saying that Adbert isn't necessarily locked in. I'm sure that's Council covering his bases. Again, Adbert has only done this for part, I guess, a, a majority, but still a part of one season. So you don't want to necessarily write anything in pen early on. But I agree it probably will be Adbert, uh, knock on wood, barring anything unforeseen in the spring. Neris hasn't been a like a regular closer, I guess a full-time closer, whatever you want to call him, in a number of seasons now. You look at his uh, blown save totals the last few years prior to Houston with Philadelphia, and he might be better off not looking at those. But he excelled as a setup man with Houston last season. Of course, he has experience closing, and that's always good because I think that's the one thing in a game that not everyone necessarily has the brain for. So he's done it before, which is good. Jeremy, like you said, uh, innings, are something you're going to get from him. His 162 game average, according to baseball reference, is that you're typically going to get 67 or so innings out of him in a season, which is pretty good. So yeah, it's it's a good signing at the back of the bullpen. And he's this year's David Robertson. He's this year's uh, Brad Boxberger. I almost did it one last time. 
Uh, he, you know, he's your veteran reliever who you're counting on to probably do good work at the back of the bullpen. If you're uh, competitive, then you're happy to have him. And if you're not, you try and spin him off at the deadline. So we've seen this the past few years now. Uh, Neris is the latest iteration. And yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot to dislike about the signing. Right. And hopefully they don't trade him like Robertson or he's not right. bad like Boxberger. But just to, just to, from what it was in the athletic earlier this morning, I think. And I just want to say, here's what Council said was uh, at this point, it would almost be malpractice on my part to get into defining things. Uh, it certainly could be uh, Adbert. I just don't think at this point we make decisions on that. Adbert obviously did a really nice job with it last year. He had success doing it, and that matters absolutely. We have to be open for a player to surprise us. We know we have some players that have been successful at the end of the game, and they're certainly going to be involved in it. The order we get those 27 outs is less important than getting those 27 outs, which is actually something I agree with. It's more important to get 27 outs than who yeah. gets them when. Um, but I so council, you know, it's, it sounds like it'll probably be Advert, but he's saying we're not defining things yeah. so early. So and uh, this is a good signing. Nara says, uh, you know, we bring him back into the pen. And Craig Council, Cubs manager, it's still a little weird to me. I'll get there. It's still a little weird, though. Um, of course, when he was managing those back ends of the bullpens in Milwaukee, he was not afraid to bring in a certain long-haired, hard-throwing, left-handed reliever in the eighth inning if that was where he felt the game hinge. And that's, a, I think, a more modern take on your closer, your, your best reliever, your relief ace. And it's not surprising that he would not want to lock himself into not doing that here in Chicago. So that's not surprising at all. I'm optimistic about the bullpen as a whole. I, there's going to be guys that will maybe break camp with the team and then just be bad. Other guys are going to get hurt. I mean, that's the nature of a bullpen, but I think, I don't think that's going to be a weakness for this team over the course of the year. I think a signing like this, just it adds the closest thing you can get in a relief pitcher to a sure thing. Like you, like you've got a pretty good idea what you're going to get with this guy. And like you were saying, Jeremy, this is not, the number one reliever in baseball coming in, but this is a guy who every year goes out, gives you 60 to seven innings. He strikes out a bunch of guys. He's pitched in a lot of high leverage situations, including deep playoff runs. And there's a lot of young guys in this Cubs bullpen that haven't had extensive deep playoff runs. I think all of that's going to be beneficial. And, um, Maybe he will end up saving or finishing out a couple of games. That seems to happen anyway. This is a win. This is a win for the Cubs. And, and I like when you make a deal like this, you're not locking into a reliever for four or five years and giving him a whole ton of money. You're giving him a nice chunk of money for one year. And if he goes out and does what he should do, he can earn more money because of it. I think this is win-win for the player and the team and the Cubs will benefit from this. Agreed. And as you said, I don't like giving out big deals for levers. I never have. But this I thought this was a solid uh, pickup. And, you know, looking at the Cubs bullpen, right, uh, we talk about all these young kind of arms that the Cubs have. Right. And, uh, you know, young starters that could be in the rotation. Maybe not gonna be in, maybe you see Hayden Wisniewski coming out of the pen or you see Ben Brown coming out of the pen. You see maybe a Katie Horton start off in the pen or a Jordan Wicks or whatever. You know, so I, I think there's going to be this kind of like. You're going to have a lot of young talent, I think, coming through that bullpen. So it's nice to have like a veteran like Hector here um, to kind of come in and, and, you know, be that guy who's, as you said, has postseason experience. He's gone in two deep runs the last two years with the Astros. He pitched in the World Series uh, two years ago. So uh, I, I just think that's a good guy to have in your bullpen. Yeah. And going back to Council's sort of thought or premise there, you want competition in spring training. There are certain positions locked in. The corner outfield is locked in for the Cubs right now. Second and short is locked in. The starting catcher is locked in. 
you look at first and third, there's competition in spring training. Center field, you hope there's competition. I'd feel like there'd be more competition if Cody Bellinger would find his way to Mesa and help this team out. That would be good. But you want that too, and you especially want it in the bullpen. These guys should be hungry to earn a spot on that opening day roster and use the next four or five weeks to get that figured out. I think that's really healthy for a team. Um, I would like the Cubs to have a standout third baseman that might be better but instead we're going to get some competition and that might push guys to do more this spring yeah, you, you said cody bellinger find his way to mesa i'm just picturing him kind of wandering arizona on like a journey of discovery and he just kind of shows up at mesa because it's familiar to him and they they take him in like a like a like a stray puppy because cody bellinger kind of has that vibe about him I, I to be honest i feel like there's a good chance he probably already is in the area because we know he has a home nearby and he spent so much time there last year but uh i i I agree with you. And I think when you go, I the one quote I like, I mean, I like most of council's quote, um, but I like the idea of like, we need to be ready for a player to surprise us. Right. We, we don't want to mm. lock anything in to place. Yeah, as you said, yeah, there are positions dancing. Nobody's bidding out Danzy Swanson at shortstop, no. right? Nobody's taking Nico Horner's job away from him, but in a, a spot like that, Adbert, you know, he needs the competition. He, he's probably going to be the guy at late inning games, but we need we, we don't want to go into defining too much here at the start of camp. We need to be ready because somebody might somebody might win a job. And yeah, we I don't necessarily say like go out and like you'll see a guy with big spring training numbers or something like that, but there are things that the coaches are looking for that they think like, oh, this guy might be really improved or something. So uh, I I I I like Council's quote there. And and of course the end of it, like it it doesn't matter when or where you get the 27 outs, it matters that you get 27 outs. And so we need those guys to be able to pitch wherever, whenever. Cubs made a couple of other moves, nothing major here. Some minor league deals, a couple of veterans, first baseman Dom Smith, outfielder David Peralta. Uh, it's, look, spring training, games are starting this week. You need some depth. That's really what we're looking at here. These are not big risk moves for the Cubs and hopefully not guys that are spending a whole lot of time in the big league roster either. Hey, you're going to need guys to play in Des Moines just as much as you're going to need guys to play in Chicago. So every yeah every team every team yeah. has names like this. Anything right. notable about either Dom Smith or David Peralta? To either Not really. Uh, Jeremy, you noted this in our our brief pre-show meeting that David Peralta felt like he killed the Cubs for a lot of years. A veteran outfielder, he's been around a, a long time with the Diamondbacks, with uh, a few other teams. Um, other than that, no. Dom Smith, the former first round pick, has not had a particularly noteworthy major league career. There's two guys who have hung around for a long time. The Cubs have clashed with them as adversaries, and you're going to see them wearing Cubs blue in Mesa this spring. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I hopefully neither of these guys are are major contributors to the roster this year. But I, you know, I'll say like obviously the Cubs are looking for left-handed kind of bats, especially to fill in that DH role. And these are guys that, you know, can kind of, they'll probably try to see what, what they still have left. Uh, Dom Smith is, has a injured uh, handmade bone in his wrist. So mm. he probably not be ready till the end of spring training. But uh, I actually, I, I Peralta to me, I, I think is probably cooked. <laughs> like, look, he has numbers. Uh, it's nice that he pulls the ball, but he hits so many balls on the ground. He doesn't have the power anymore. Uh, I, he's pretty old. Dom Smith is kind of intriguing, I guess. Like, I'm not going to say like he's, but I more so than Peralta, I'm saying, uh, where there might be some, you know, okay maneuvers there. But I don't know. It's kind of interesting because I just think it's interesting, like, where, what does this mean for Matt Mervis, right? Like he was a guy that the Cubs had a lot of promise for last year, came up, didn't really perform, got sent back down. And 
it's kind of just keeps dropping down the depth chart. They acquired Michael Bush. Now they're acquiring two of these kind of veteran left-handed guys that DH first base. Uh, so like I could see Matt Mervis, like is a Matt Mervis trade coming? I don't know. It just seems like I would personally rather give opportunity to Matt Mervis than these two guys. But, uh, and then my other thought besides Mervis, is just like, I do think there's a little bit of some of like, you know, Hey Cody, like not that these guys are going to force Cody to make a decision, but like we're, we're, we're making plans without you for our left-handed bats. So maybe you want to make a decision sometime soon. Yeah, they're they're signaling to Cody. We'll be all right at first base. We've got plenty of options. And you look over your shoulder well, at the options. They're and filling up rosters. Yeah, spots. there sure are plenty of them. Jeremy, I believe I have David Peralta having walking off the Cubs uh, in a game with against the Dodgers at Dodger Stadium early last season. Uh, you know, you put him in camp. You put him in camp with you. You have him break camp in your organization. At least he he can't walk you off at the very least. So maybe that's worth a, a win on its own. As I said, he is a Cubs killer. Well, you talked about Bellinger a minute ago. Let's not, you know, skip past that. I think it's time to talk about it. It is a uh, first spring training game Friday. We're in camp here. Cody Bellinger is still a free agent, as are a number of Scott Boris clients. We've talked a lot about Cody Bellinger this offseason. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, Randall and Jeremy, of your optimism that this guy is a Chicago Cub this year, where are we sitting at here a couple days away from the first spring training game? Yeah, I'm going to say, having come out of Cubs convention, it was pretty high, maybe a, a soft, hard 7, maybe even like a soft 8. Uh, at certain points during the convention, because uh, we talked about it. Everybody was talking about Cody, and even Jed was uncharacteristically candid about how much they like Bellinger and would want him back. Time is the ultimate equalizer, and we the convention was over a month ago at this point, and he's still not signed. It still seems like the Cubs really want him back, and the, the comments are they do really want him back, but, you know, they're they're not going to go above a certain number. So I'm still somewhat optimistic he ends up here, but every day that goes by where he doesn't end up here um, is, is, you know, I'd say it lowers those chances incrementally every day. Uh, I, I Randall said, you know, I'll put myself kind of at a six a little bit. Uh, you know, oh, they you were guys still... are way more optimistic than me. <laughs> well, that's well here's my goes. thing. Here's my thing. I'm going to go with it. Um, well, first of all, they're still talking about him. Like they put out a lot of uh, stuff today about, you know, guys talking about Cody Bellinger, Dan Swanson talking about Cody Bellinger, Tom Ricketts talking about Cody Bellinger. Tom Ricketts like never talks about this type of stuff. So here's my my thought process is uh, with it. I, they're not going to pay him what he wants. And I think that's pretty clear. Um, I just don't know where Cody Bellinger goes. Like, where is he going to go? Where is he going to get what he wants? So my optimism, and I think a lot of what came out today, I think a lot of what the move, everything today, I think of a lot of it was designed. Like, I, it feels like a lot of today was designed to me to get Cody Bellinger to the table because you could just even listen to Tom Ricketts' specific quotes, which I thought were kind of interesting when he talked about Cody Bellinger, who he never talks about players or negotiating with players. He said, like, we've had discussions. We haven't gotten to negotiations. We're ready to talk whenever he's ready to talk. So it sounds like like he's putting it on them. It's And he's like, they want to talk to us. Now, I think it's pretty clear they don't want to pay what Cody Bellinger okay. wants. And I think right now, Cody Bellinger and Scott Boris are dead set, or I want my money, I want this. But at some point, I think they want him to come to them and say, Hey, let's start talking. Let's see if we can figure something out that works for both sides. And I think a lot of all the, th I think even including the Dom Smith and the 
the, you know, uh, David Peralta stuff. I think a lot of this all was like, look, we're ready to move forward. We, I just think it was like kind of a plan, like go come to the table and talk to us. Cause we're ready to move forward. We're going to go into the season. We're comfortable going into the season with what we have. So you have to come talk to us if we want to figure something out. Otherwise we're just going to keep going forward. And that's just the way I interpreted it. And I don't see who else is willing to do that for Cody. I don't see who else is willing to do that for Cody. So that's where I get a six. Like, I'm not saying he's going to sign with the Cubs, but I don't know where else he's going to go. And it seems like the Cubs still want him to come to them. So yeah, that's Jeremy, where I put it. That's, I think that's an apt way of putting it. it. It's not that the Cubs have done anything to make themselves any more of a front runner. It's that nobody else has done anything to make themselves more of a front runner. I don't know. Maybe the Royals feel like making a big splash and they give Bellinger the Boris money that Boris wants for him. They have a hole in center field. He'd fit in pretty well there. Um, yeah, it's it. You just you keep coming back to who else is going to pay him. Boris said he wanted two hundred million for Bellinger. Again, here we are. Teams have uh, done full squad workouts, and Bellinger's not in a big league camp. It's a question of who is going to blink first, a team or his agent. Do you see Anaheim in on Bellinger? I think Anaheim because I they've been talking. You know, you get. I don't think they're going to be in on Bellinger. I think they're going to go for pitching. That's just my personal opinion. I think they're going to be in on Snell, and I think they're going to be in on Montgomery, and I can see one of those two guys going to Anaheim. I just don't see Belger. Now, here's the thing, and here's why I also, to me, I thought six was a little bit lower, but here's the thing. I think, you know, Bellinger might just want to wait for, see what happens with spring training games, and I remember, I think it was Victor Martinez got hurt in like a spring training game and, and Ilyich, the owner of the a 90 year old owner of the Tigers went out and signed Prince Fielder to like a $200 million contract. So you never know what's going to happen. So I can see like Bellinger being like, you know what? I'll just wait to see if somebody gets hurt. But yeah, other than that, I, I just don't see a spot for him. There's time. There is time. Spring training is way too long, especially for a veteran hitter. We were arguing with our buddy Kern in our text the other day, or I was arguing with him about it. I think a a veteran Major League Baseball player, a guy like Cody Bellinger, two weeks is all they really need in spring training. It's not like he's just sitting on his ass right now doing nothing. He's working out. He is facing pitching to whatever degree he wants to. You get him in camp, two weeks of seeing Major League pitching, he's ready to go for opening day. So you bring up a good point there, Jeremy. I think he's got not quite a month, but maybe three weeks or so from now before Bellinger really needs to lock in on what it's going to be. And yeah, an injury may pop up that'll open up a spot for him. Yeah, I mean, he's not missing anything for not being in camp on February 19th. The the league schedules have not even begun. The games have not even begun. He's not missing anything for right now, but you are getting closer to that point where, like you said, he's going to have to start thinking about it. Ronan, you said you are not as optimistic as Jeremy and I, which is generally the case in most situations. But in this one specifically on your scale of one to 10, where do you sit? I definitely blow a five. Like I, I do not think there's a better than 50% chance that Cody Bellinger is on the Cubs roster this year. And that bums me out because I think this team really needs Cody Bellinger. I think they need help in center field as optimistic as I am about Pete Crow Armstrong. I think they need help in center field. I I'm trying to be optimistic about Michael Bush. I think he could definitely contribute to the team. I'd feel much better if Cody Bellinger was an option at first and you need a slugger, a left-handed bat in the middle of this lineup would do wonders. At that said, I don't want to give him $200 million. No. Like, I, I don't think that's in the best interest of the Cubs moving forward. And when Tom Ritzkitz is talking about, well, in order to increase payroll, they need more revenue, that doesn't make me very optimistic that this team's going to go and drop 25 or $30 million on another player between now and opening day. 
No, maybe they're playing games, like you said, Jeremy. Maybe this is all. Well, I, I do think a little bit feel... is playing games. Yeah, I it do, is. But I think there's also some truth to that comment. But like he said, we're at the CB. We want to be at the CBT, right? And the Cubs are 200 million. Like how are they get the CBT? They got to sign like a 25 million dollar player yeah. between now and and opening day. So like that's where I am. I think I think Tom. I think there's like one move left. And I, to be honest, me, I would sign both Bellinger and Chapman. I would yeah. just go with it. That's what I want. <laughs> like, I don't care. Go to 240. Who who cares? Not um, my money. Yeah. But uh, I, 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 I just, I just look, it's like, I think Bart, like March 15th, that's like the date I'm putting on like two. I think you give yourself two weeks till opening day. And I think like, that's kind of like, you can wait that long uh, unless he just gets restless. And like, I, I, that's what I'm saying. I think Cody will make a decision in the middle of March. Because you don't want to go on the season. You, no. And I know it's a pitcher, but we all saw what happened with Craig Kimbrell and Dallas Keuchel, you know, go, having to wait. Because first of all, at some point, uh, Cody got the qualifying offer, right? So teams are going to have to give up draft picks. So at some point, like, teams are going to be like, we don't want to, you know, what's the point of signing him, like, in June, like, May or June, if we could just wait till the draft and sign him afterwards? So, like, I think March is really where Cody Bellinger has to make a decision, in my opinion, middle of March. Yeah, Bryce Harper was a, a March signing. I want to say very early March. I think it was like um, March he, 1. Yeah, and he was, I'd say, several orders of magnitude more significant as a free agent versus Cody Bellinger. I have a question for the two of you. I know how much you both love answering questions. I'm going to give you three names, and I want you to put them in order from you blame them the most to you blame them the <laughs> Tom least. Tom Ricketts the most. Yeah, well, I mean, we know where you're going to fall. For I guess Bellinger not being in camp, for the Cubs not signing Chapman yet, slash it all. And those three names are Tom Ricketts, Scott Boris, and Jed Hoyer. So okay. we know Ronan's going to go longer on this one. So, Jeremy, I'm going to go to you first. Of those three names, of those three names, who do you blame the most and who do you blame the least? Okay, so here's where I'll go. I'm going to say number one, as in Scott Boris, because... I think Scott Moore is a great agent. I think he's doing what's right for his clients, but you know, I, he's not going to get the money he wants. It's, nope. He's just not like at some point you have to wreck Like he can hold out. He's not going to get it much. So at some point you have to come to the table and start negotiating and figure out what you can do. So Scott Boris, number one, number two, for this specific question, I'm going to say Jed Hoyer because Jed Hoyer is making the baseball decisions. And I think the money that 25 million or 30 million or whatever is there for now for this. So I think Tom Ricketts is just giving his money and he's saying, don't go past two thirty or whatever. And so there, so I think Jed's not going to pay what Boris wants and Boris wants what, what he wants. So I think it's a standoff between the two of them. And then Tom's on the bottom. I, 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 I mean, you can say, like, Tom says he's not going to – most owners deal directly with Boris because Boris just goes straight to the owner, and Tom says, I'm not going to deal with him. I think it undermines my GM. So I just think it's the GM versus the agent. I think that's what it is. I think the money's there for this particular – he's not going to sign two of them. He's not gonna, The money's not there to sign two of them. The money's not there to sign – like, I'll go on a spank street, but the money's there to sign one Boris guy, I, I believe. So I think it's Boris versus Hoyer – I go Boris one because he's not going to get the money no matter what. Hoyer, because if he wanted to give him the money, he could give him the money, but Hoyer's not going to give him the money. So that's what it is, in my opinion. All right, Ronan, it's your turn. We've moved the furniture aside. Go for it. Well, it, it's definitely a Tom Ricketts problem. The, the fact that we're sitting here, 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 look, Tom Ricketts quotes today, and there were a lot of them, and, and maybe in a minute here, we'll read some of them out loud to add some more context to it. But everything that Tom Ricketts said today, reinforces what I've been saying on the show this entire offseason, that the Cubs are not trying to be the Dodgers. 
They're not trying to be the Braves. They're trying to be mediocre enough to beat the Reds and win a crappy division. That's, that's what the Cubs' motivation is. Tom Ricketts looks at the National League, and he goes, we could be the Dodgers, we could be the Braves. I'd rather be the Diamondbacks, be the last team into the playoffs, but it's baseball and anybody can win. As long as we're mediocre enough to be the last team into the playoffs, we might win a World Series once in a while. That's good enough for me. So that's my problem. We shouldn't be having this conversation. The Cubs should be able to compete for a Shohei or any free agent. They should, the Cubs should not be number 10 in payroll in Major League Baseball. They should be in the top three or the top five every single year. So Tom Ricketts, easily number one. Number two, maybe Scott Boris, but I don't want this to come across like I'm not a Scott Boris guy. I've got zero problems with Scott Boris. Scott Boris represents the players. In baseball, it's players versus owners. 99.9% of the time, I'm on the side of the players. So I don't really have a problem with Scott Boris. I think he's very good at what he does, and his responsibility is making money for his clients and he's good at that number three jed like i like jed I, he doesn't do everything very well but uh, i think given the handcuffs put on him by a very cheap owner he's done a very nice job especially given the circumstances coming out of that world series window i think jed is a very competent front office executive and i'm glad that we have him i, I, I like don't, jed i'm not glad that we have tom ricketts okay. and i'm and i'm i'm appalled that a press a member of the press asks the cubs what do we have to do to raise the payroll right from number nine or number 10, where they are in Major League Baseball right now. And he says more revenue. The Ricketts family owns half of Lakeview. They wanted their stupid sports network that none of us wanted and they got it. They wanted their stupid sports book that none of us wanted and they got it. They need more revenue to put a payroll out there over 200 million. That's appalling. That's absolutely appalling. And it reinforces like what I said earlier, the Cubs are not trying to be one of the great teams in the National League. They're trying to be moderately better than the Reds. The Cardinals. That's that's absolutely embarrassing. And he actually said the thing out loud that I've been accusing him of for years. He actually said it, and half the fan base eats it up. Like, well, you know, it's not 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 a bad thing here. I, I think that's the way to go. Look at the Diamondbacks. I don't want to be the Diamondbacks. I'm glad they had a good run last year. I want to be the Dodgers. And I would think the Cubs. That should be the standard the Cubs are held to, not. Arizona, for Christ's sake, who are threatening, by the way, to leave uh, Arizona, too. They were mentioning that today. If they don't get taxpayer money, they may be on the road to Nashville. Like, that, that's appalling. That should not be the standard for the Cubs. I, I Yeah, I, I mean, look, on the, the whole sense of everything, I agree with you. I, I do. I agree with you that the Cubs should be willing to spend a lot more money than they currently are willing to spend. And I do think that it comes from the top, Tom Ricketts. I, I do think that, yeah, I would, I think it's ridiculous. You know, I, I think Shohei was always going to you know, sure. the Dodgers, but yeah, they should have put out a gargantuan offer and who knows what they did, but he, there shouldn't have been a number to stop them in my opinion. And they should, I think I want the Cubs to be the Yankees. I want the Cubs to be the Dodgers. I want the Cubs to be all those teams. Uh, I, I don't necessarily think, I don't think right now they're going to be, but I also don't no. think they're necessarily, I know Tom said the Diamondbacks. I don't think they're necessarily the Diamondbacks. Like, I do think they're going to get to the CBT this year. I, I, I They should be over it. I agree 100%. They should be over it. I, I think they're going to get there. I I just, for this one specific situation of talking about Cody Bellinger, sure. I just think the money's there right now. I think they sign. I think if Cody Bellinger, I, I Tom's not going to, I don't think Tom wants to make baseball decisions. I, I don't. But I think if, Cody Bellinger did say like eight years, $200 million. And Tom was 
wanted to make a baseball decision, I think he would be okay with that. I don't think he would. I think he's 225 million. We're going to have Cody. We'll throw him out there. And like, I think that's what Tom wants. Um, but he doesn't want to be the guy to do it. Cause I think he wants his baseball guys to be empowered and do what they want to do. He gives them the money. And so I, I just think for this, like, I think Jed could spend $25 million right now for this year's payroll. And I think it's his decision. How he, I mean, he probably will spend $25 million for his payroll. I just, it just matters how it's divvied up. And I yeah. just don't think he wants to give out a big contract to Cody Bellinger here. So I just put them the two of them. Now, overall, should the Cubs be spending more? Should the Cubs be doing a lot more? Yes. But I, I do want to point out one thing about Tom's comment, um, that if I were Jed Hoyer, I would be a little taken aback by. Hmm. Because I would feel like Tom Ricketts said, and you could disagree with him, and I might disagree with him as well, that $230 million should or the CBT is really what he said. The CBT, which is 237 this year, should be enough to win this division consistently and to go like into the playoffs and do stuff. And you can all disagree how you want to take it, whatever, but I agree. It should be enough to win this division because this division's trash and no other team has ever gone in the CBT in this division. So that should be. So if I was Jed Hoyer, I would be hearing that comment and thinking like, I need to produce. I need to get divisions one. I need to get in the playoffs consistently because my owner thinks I should be getting into division with the money he's giving me. And so like, if I'm not doing that this year and like last year, I think they should have been in the playoffs. I know we could say they didn't spend you know, like a top tier, but they spent a, a decent amount of money and other teams that spent less and made it ahead of them. If he's spending $230 million again this year, doesn't make the playoffs. I would be a little bit concerned. I don't necessarily think Jed's on the hot seat. I'm not saying he's Jed's on the hot seat, but like, I would think at some point my owner's thinking like, okay, I am giving $230 million a year. This division's trash. We got to make the playoffs. The, yeah. the club's got to make the playoffs this year. They have to, no matter what. That's my opinion. Yeah, and they'd be a lot better or closer to that. I agree. Something out with Cody and bring him back. I know, I know you do. I thought this was funny too. This is a quote from Tom Ricketts today. I could have said this. Maybe I did say this on a podcast back in the fall. I love this quote from everybody not named Tom Ricketts. This quote right here. This is the beauty of baseball. You don't have to have the highest payroll or the biggest stars. If you're playing well, anybody can beat anybody. I was happy for the Diamondbacks. I'm certain I said that when we were getting to the World Series and talking on the show. I love that mindset. I agree with that from everybody but the owner of the team that I like. I want the Cubs to be ruthless. If you're one of the top revenue generators in the league, you should have one of the top payrolls in the league. That's the trade-off there, right? And there's so much money they make that's not on the books. That should be the trade-off there. And that's not what we're getting from this ownership group. And that's why I'm pissed off. I, I agree with you. And they've said similar things in the past. Yeah. Um, I First of all, that more revenue comment, that 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 one pissed me off. I, I do agree with that because it's just like I remember I know the RCN models popping right now and everything. But I, when they said that they're going to do Marquita was going to unlock so much more spending, whatever. And what have we seen? Less spending uh, relatively over time. But I, I do go back to the Bellinger thing at some point, kind of thinking like I, I know these quotes are probably kind of what Tom actually believes because he said them in the past. But I do think there's a little bit a little bit to them about like to to. Scott Boris, like we're moving forward. Like this is our yeah. plan. This is what it is. Like I'm saying this. I do think there's some negotiation out there. I do think like there's there's some signals they're purposely trying to send to Scott Boris. I do think some of it is that. Yeah, you know, I would put Ricketts first on my list because the money comes from him. If he tells Jed go out and spend as you know, go out and spend what you think this team needs, I think it would be done. But I'm going to put Boris as a very close second. Because I think saying that 
his comment that Cody Bellinger is going to get two hundred million. I think that cursed Cody Bellinger's free agency just a little bit this offseason. I think it scared a lot of teams off. A lot of teams are already a little hesitant to deal with Boris because he course he is of course known for being what he is. So I'm going to put Boris as the the number two, and I'm it's pretty close. He's not number one, but it, it's a lot closer for me than it is for you. Boris is for a lot of teams, a difficult representation to deal with for this very reason. A lot of will just wash their hands of him entirely and not deal with him and say, we can get by without his, without his players. There was a piece by Rosenthal not all that long ago. I just want to say last week about why the Dodgers and the Braves, two ostensible top teams in MLB, do not have a whole lot of Boris clients on their roster. And the gist of it was they don't love dealing with what he does for his clients. And it doesn't mean that they don't sign Boris clients. doesn't mean they never will. It means that they prefer not to deal with them if they don't have to. So that's my three is I go Ricketts, I go Boris, and then I go Hoyer. Okay. So Randall, then I have a question for you, kind of similar to what I asked Ronan. So you said you believe that if Tom Ricketts told Jed Hoyer, I – Go out and spend whatever you think you need, you know, whatever you think you need. Do you think Jed Hoyer would sign if he had that go ahead green light, just total green light? Do you think he would sign Cody Bellinger to a $200 million contract? I don't think so, but I think he would get closer to that. I think he would get a lot closer to that than he's willing to right now. And we know Jed is very risk averse. He really doesn't love the long contract. I think he'd be more willing to come closer to Boris's asking price. I don't think he would meet it, but I think he'd be willing to come closer to it. Well, I think he would sign him, but I think the reason why he's reluctant is Tom Ricketts' fault because Jed Hoyer was there with the biblical losses, whatever you want to call 2020, <laughs> that, that was so bad that Theo left early because he didn't want to be the bad guy to get rid of the whole World Series core. I think that's burned in Jed's psyche as well and probably impacts the decisions he makes as well. Um, I, look, we all agree. This team is better with Cody Bellinger. Yes. We all agree he is not the caliber of player where you just write a blank check. He's not a Mike Trout. He's not a Shohei. You don't just completely open it up for him. But man, you really hope Jed can get creative here because this roster, as constructed, if they break camp with the roster we have right now, and I thought I saw a projection that was mid-80s. I'm thinking 85 wins right now when I look at this roster. And the thing with that is... You get hot, you get lucky, a couple guys outperform, maybe you're a 90-win team. The other side of it, you have a bad month, you get a couple freak losses in a row, Justin Steele gets hurt, something crazy that that you don't want to have happen, maybe you're an 80- or a 75-win team. That's the risk of being a mid-80-win team. You're a lot better with Cody Bellinger. It solidifies center field, it solidifies first base, you got another DH, you get this lefty bat. find a way to make it work. Of all the free agents that are still out there, including Chapman, Bellinger's the guy reasonably I want back with the Cubs here. Give him two weeks and he'll be ready to go for opening day. I think if there's one thing we're in agreement on, it's that one of Bellinger or Chapman would immediately make this team favorites because they would, I think, both add a number of wins in their own way. Bellinger, versatility and power. Chapman would make it easily one of the best defensive infields in the NL. And this is a guy who even in 140 games of a a down and injury played year last year, still managed to hit 17 home runs playing in a a, a decent sized park up there in Toronto. He still managed to hit 17 home runs. So he'd add power and he'd add uh, just a stonewall glove over there at third base. I think both one of them would immediately make this team like a high eighties. If you were to somehow manage to fit both of them into your, your so-called budget, you are the division favorite 
by a number of games instantly. I, I agree that you need one of those players. You need one of those players if you want to make yourself the division favorites. And they they need to go out and get one of them. Right. They they need to go out and get one of them. I, I 100% agree with that. Uh, they, I would consider this offseason almost, probably, you know, I would not be too happy about this offseason. We go and opening day and they don't have a big bat signed in terms of Bellinger or Chapman. I, I think I, I don't want to call it a failure necessarily, but I would be towards that. Um, because they need they need that. They need that lineup. They need to put like right now if you're going into this season, it's I, I think the Cardinals are actually probably pretty decent in terms of for the division. I think the Cubs are right there. And then I think the kind of the Brewers are right there. I think the Reds I, I don't think they're as good, but they have the potential to be really good if they're if they're their hitters and break out and stuff like that. So I, you need to put yourself as Rona. I agree with you. You need to put yourself. They should be consistently the favorites for the division yes. easily. Not, not like we might be a win or two better than the Cardinals. Like they should be easily every year. You should think the Cubs own that division. Um, They should. So I agree with that. I personally, as I said, I would sign both Bellinger and Chapman because I think they fit. <laughs> um, I am worried a lot about Bellinger's kind of underlying metrics. I know he, Worked it well, pulling the ball, hitting fly balls at Wrigley Field. It worked really well. Great defender. I just, I am scared of giving him a very long, as a guy who wanted yeah. to sign to extension last year, I would like comfortable five stick. I'm scared of giving him a long-term deal. Um, I think Bellinger or Chapman also has great defense. Better underlying metrics didn't quite produce as much last year. So I don't know, but they need one. They they yeah. have to have one. Like if they go in the season, I will be very, very angry with the Cubs they go into April this year and they don't have one of Bellinger or Chapman, or they don't have a big bat. We'll see going into this year. Somebody needs to be there. They need another bat. Well, the Cubs seem to be committed to giving Christopher Morrell a look at third base. This is pretty interesting. What do you think, Randall? Yeah, I'm, I'm good with it. Um, somebody smarter than me. I don't remember who, but somebody smarter than me, I think intoned that Christopher Morrell's first thousand innings at third base might be pretty rough, and then the rest of his career, will, he'll be fine. He has everything you need in order to be a third baseman. He's got the athleticism. He's got the range. He's got the arm. He has not had a prolonged chance to work that out in-game, and it, it might be pretty rough as he's continuing to work it out. Now, I, I may be so rough that they kind of abandon it and just go back to shifting him around or having him DH, but I don't think there's any harm in trying. I think it's malpractice to not have him try because he has everything you need to play third base. And if you can find a way where he is acceptable defensively, then that is a win-win. It frees up the DH spot and it gives you a pretty good offensive third baseman. So I'm good with it. I think that's a better use of his athleticism than having him play first base as they said he was going to in winter ball. And then he didn't play any first base in winter ball. It was a fun day. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm good with it. I think if they they have tried it before. I think they are best served going back to trying it and seeing if they can make him into a serviceable major league third baseman. Yeah. And uh, well, winter ball, unfortunately they didn't have control of, you know, those right. teams get to do whatever they want, but now they do. And, uh, you know, it was our guy, Sean last year when he was on the podcast, he uh, brought this time. He told us make uh Chris from a third baseman. He wrote an article about it. So uh, I, I think that uh, I think it's, it's interesting because I feel like it's the first kind of noticeable, um, change between council and Ross. Cause from what I've read, Ross did not think that 
Morel was really capable of playing a third base and Council's like, hey, let's give the guy a shot. Like, we'll see what it's there. So I do think it's interesting also because Morel said his issues are more with his throws. Like he's not a consistent thrower. And that's really where he gets in trouble uh, making the throw across the diamond consistently. So, hey, give it a shot. Who knows? Hopefully it works out and then Cubs can have a legit bat at third base. That's better than Patrick yeah. Wisdom. Um right. But or magical. But uh, if you if it's not working out during spring training, like you know, it's not that difficult a thing. You put Morel back to what he's been doing before. So I like the idea of council being like, "Hey, let's just see what's there. Let's let's give guys opportunity." Yeah. I like that, and not just kind of closing it off. You just wish they had a gold glove over at first base or something, you know, to, to scoop it up. You'd feel a little better. You need a Mark Grace over there, or a Anthony Rizzo, or a Cody Bellinger maybe helping things out at first base um, just to make them a little more comfortable. There's there's kind of a mixed bag what I've seen. I'm eager to see Michael Bush more, eager to see him in spring training, but what I've read about his defense is that's not really the, the focal point of this guy's play. He's going to hit a lot of home runs. He's going to walk. He's going to be a fun offensive guy. That makes me a little nervous about putting a guy like Morel at third when you don't have a sure thing over on the other side of the diamond. What's Derek Lee up to? Yeah. Oh, Dan. Yeah, I bet he could still hit, man. I bet. I, I don't know how he could pick it. pick it at first. You don't maybe. think he bend over, maybe. maybe? I know he could hit the ball. <laughs> that's for sure. Well, speaking of big bats and all that, let's get our first prediction of the year here. We've got our first game on Friday, a whole weekend of baseball. Jeremy, the Cubs' first spring training home run will be hit by. This is a good prediction. So off the top of my head, I'm just going to say it, you know, without knowing who's going to be out there. I'll just say our boy, uh, Dancy Swanson, hits the first wow. Cubs spring training homer. Randall. Christopher Morrell. Mm. I thought Randall was going to give us a curveball there and say Cody Bellinger. You know, I would be that it would have been funny. It would have been funny. I should have. I am going to go with big bat Patrick Wisdom. He's going to get a first pitch fastball. He's going to hit it way out of the ballpark. And we're going to say, all right, 40 home run season coming from P. Wizzy. That he was playing. I saw a little clip of him the other day of him and Michael Bush taking grounders at first base. And I know those are the two guys you want over there at first. Yeah, you know, that's the other great part of the spring is watching a guy do one good thing. And if you're watching the game with somebody, you turn to the person next to you. Or if you're alone in your living room, you just kind of say it out loud. You say he's going to have a big year. That That's the hey, best part of spring training. Jock Peterson hit like nine homers at spring training. He was awesome. And then he kind of got off to a slow start. I think he played decently okay for the Cubs, but then they trade him. But hopefully one of these new guys comes out, hits like nine homers, and then hits all the way through the season. One other guy I'm super excited about, number 95, Cam Sanders in spring training for the Cubs. Uh, earn a spot on the big league team. We need a Sanders at Wrigley Field this year. Other yeah, we than do. We, right. We need we need a second Sanders at Wrigley Field yeah. this year. You know, if you want to note guys in spring training who are more interesting than Dom Smith and David Peralta, I grant that's a short list. But Matt Shaw is in big league camp. Owen Casey cool. is in big league camp. And that is something I will enjoy seeing. Um, I imagine Shaw is probably going to get more than his fair share of time at third base and probably some shortstop and second sprinkled in because you like versatility. But I think they're kind of hoping that Shaw starts the season at double A, which he probably will, that he plays mostly third base and maybe he forces that issue at third base. I think Jed's kind of got his fingers crossed that that's a something they have to deal with at some point this season. And I don't know that that's a great strategy, but I do think it's there's something, I do think they are hoping he forces the issue in that regard. I mean, if Matt Shaw could force his way to make big league team uh, in 2024, that would be fantastic. It would, I mean, yeah. and he could. He's right on the doorstep, and he had an amazing year last year. So who knows? But uh, that would be, uh, to me, that would be a fantastic uh, development for the Chicago Cubs. 
Well, it's go time, and we're all ready for that. It's going to be fun to watch some Cubs baseball this weekend and taking the sights from Arizona. Um, any other Cubs thoughts? I got one other major league thing I want to get to, but anything else Cubs related that's on either of your minds? Yeah, a quick moment for Tom Otis Hanlon, who passed away earlier this winter. Uh, the club's home clubhouse manager for 23 years, and he worked in the home clubhouse longer than that. A number of former players. Um, took to the public to eulogize him. And that's always a sign of uh, what you did when you were active is who misses you when you're gone. Uh, I'd always hear Pat Hughes mention him on the broadcast. Len Casper would mention him on the broadcast. So I know that's a sad loss for the Cubs family. Yeah, pour one out for uh, Tom. Long time uh, around this Cubs team. Um, I had a moment yesterday that was a bit nostalgic. Sunday night, I was uh, chilling here at the house. I've got Fubo for like two more weeks here, so I put Marquee on. <laughs> they were showing a Cubs broadcast from May of 1997, an old WGN, Harry and Stone. And I actually had Harriet come in, and I'm like, just listen to this for like a minute or two. And I was explaining to her, I'm like, this is what I grew up on. It made me miss Harry Carey. It actually made me miss Randall Steve Stone. That's how I felt at the time. Wow. I don't care so much for Steve Stone here in 2024, but something about the Cubs, the graphics, 1997 Wrigley Field, like that was my childhood in a snapshot there. They were talking about uh, uh, Josh Lewin, right, uh, helping out with the broadcast. And I'm like, baby, all these names and memories coming back, the way they used to shoot Wrigley Field, the fans – uh, really fantastic stuff. May 1997, it was a Cubs-Padres game. Cubs offense snapped. But for about an hour or so as I had that game on, I was sort of transported back to being like a nine-year-old or an eight-year-old. And that is one of the cool things that Marquis can give us here in 2024. Yeah, you, you bring it up every time you see it where you, you text us photos of your television, which is always fascinating. Oh, yeah. the, the backdrop looks different behind home plate. You had the old batter's eye in center field with the juniper bushes. It, it's between that and the broadcast. And like you said, the broadcasters, it's a very different feel from what we get today. And it's got a different flavor to it. And it, there's definitely something to that. I caught a 2008 game, one that I remembered seeing, or I guess reacting to live in which uh, Giovanni Soto hit a game tying three run homer against the Brewers in the ninth inning. They'd go on to win in extras. It did not have the then Comcast sports network graphics on it, which I was a little disappointed by, but it was still Len and, and Brenly on the call. I remembered the game. I remembered how it went down there. If you catch the right throwback, game at 11 o'clock at night on marquee it's a real good kind of midnight snack of baseball you know what i feel is missing now that was so evident watching that game in 97 there were a million things the organ was so prevalent in that game the or between every pitch you know gary was playing something he'd have little bits when batters would come up there was so little canned music at Wrigley Field in 1997. It wasn't non-existent. The Cubs didn't have walk-up music in 1997. That came much later. Boy, that one really kind of pulled at me a little bit. Like, I miss the organ. I miss the organ being a prominent part of the broadcast. You still get it, but not like it used to be. Not even close to how it was 20 or 30 years ago. Get a few of those uh, Southwest, how, how far do they oh, yeah. fly? I assume you got a lot of them. You said the Cubs broke out the bats. Uh, yeah. I always enjoyed that, you know, what the, just seeing that. But, yeah, I agree with you. Like, when you, when you sent that text, uh, as Randall pointed out, of the of the brick wall, like, that yeah. that was the wall of my childhood, of behind home plate I'm talking about, um, <laughs> to the backstop. Like, I just remember that huge wall. Now it's smaller, closer, obviously seats. You got the advertisements. But that was just 
just growing up, I always just remember like that was a notable thing about Wrigley was that brick wall was kind of like at the time in the mid nineties, the only ballpark that had that brick wall later, you would get a couple of ballparks that kind of had a retro brick wall, just like there, but that was like a notable thing. And it, I just, it was just crazy to me just yeah. seeing that again, brought back, as you said, so many memories. Uh, another thing too, sort of on the, on the annoyance side of it, I wish the executives at marquee, the producers, the directors would watch that game from 1997 and pick up a couple of <laughs> clues of what it means to have a locally produced Chicago broadcast. Um, I got sad thinking about Harry. That was of course his last season. There were points in that game. I, <laughs> I had no idea what Harry was talking about, right? And I'm watching the game and his reactions to like a, a bloop fair ball out to right field. It was so earnest, just very entertaining listening to it. Um, definitely enjoyable to do that. The other thing though, that was sort of sad, I'm watching the game going, oh, that guy's dead. That guy's dead. Tony dead. Gwynn comes up. They're talking about dead. Ken Caminiti. I'm like, oh God, Kevin Foster's pitching for the Cubs. I'm like, oh God. Then they Harry goes on this story about Daryl Kyle. And I'm like, Harry, like the last four guys named in this game are all dead. This Including is just... Harry. And then Harry. Yeah. Uh, it was just, <laughs> it was just wild. And uh, we're, we're not young anymore. We're not as young as we used to be, but still seeing a game from your childhood and seeing a whole bunch of players in that game that are no longer with us. It's pretty sobering stuff. For anybody to see that, uh, and you know, especially a guy like Tony Gwynn or or um, any of those guys who all died way too young. Definitely, a hundred percent. And like, you know, Tony Gwynn was obviously a great player, but I, as you said, just listening to those games and bringing back, bringing back so many memories. Steve Stone, we'll see how Stone d- does this year when he's got a new play-by-play partner. So we'll see what what that happens up there in uh, our down there on the south side. But yeah, I love watching those Cubs classics, and that that's one good thing I think about Marquis was that that we were excited to see was to get to this kind of library of Cubs games and I and I hopefully we see more and more of them because a lot of times yeah. we see the same ones over and over again but I even remember that game that Randall mentioned with the Giovanni Soto's homer in 08 that was a big game uh but yeah I I, I agree with you Ronan every time I see them it just brings a smile to my face do, do they ever go super old yeah. I've I've had very mark I've had very little marquee in my life. I've been out here since 2015, and I've had Fubo for like two months where I pop up. But like, you ever get a Hank Sauer game? There's been games in like the 60s. I'll say I don't know about okay. 50s, but yeah, like I've 60s, seen... black and white kind of. I've seen like Fergie in black and white. So I've seen some 60s games, 70s games, 80s games. We need yeah, a Hank seen, Sauer game. I've seen as far back as the 60s. I don't think I've seen older than that. Okay, well, we'll see. Um, I'll another uh, bit of advice I'll pass on to Marquis that they will ignore and uh, give us a whole lot more of Taylor McGregor and everything else that's on. Uh, Cole Wright and Taylor McGregor, the commenting, Cubs commenting on a 1997 Cubs yeah. game, talking over Harry. <laughs> that's what we need. Well, you've mentioned the Sox a minute ago. I wanted to end with this. Um, the White Sox are in the news here. They're apparently trying to build a ballpark in the South Loop, that 78 site uh, just south of Roosevelt. They want a billion dollars in public money to yeah. build this ballpark. So um, let's ignore that for a second. The, the idea of the White Sox moving from 35th Street up to Roosevelt, having a ballpark facing downtown where you got the Sears Tower, the Willis Tower in left field. How awesome would that be? I mean, I think this would be amazing for the White Sox. I think this would be great for the city of Chicago in baseball. We'll talk about public money in a minute, but Randall, you've seen the renderings. What do you make of the Sox maybe moving a little further north? Uh, the renderings look terrific. Now everyone's renderings look terrific. Nobody's ever put out renderings and people are oh. like, oh, this looks like crap. Yes. But, the uh, Las Vegas A's, that rendering of that Tropicana site, everybody said looked like crap. So I okay. beg to differ there. Okay. The point is the renderings are the easy part. 
And the renderings look great. Like you said, you've got the city beyond the outfield, which I believe is a sticking point for a lot of people about the G-rate, that you don't have the skyline view. You view the uh, the Dan Ryan instead. So the renderings look great. The ballpark looks great. The Where it sits in the city looks great, where it's, you access it by water taxi. It looks great. Everything about the art we were given looks great. I, I think it would be fantastic, as you said, like, you know, getting away from obviously paying for and everything. But if that actually were to come to fruition in a way that made sense, I, I think it would it, it, it would be fantastic. I would love it as a baseball fan in the city of Chicago. I think, first of all, the renderings, yeah, you know, obviously they don't have – I don't think they have an architectural firm yet hired. So we'll see about what it is. But, and, but uh, I, I think it would be wonderful for the White Sox. And to move into the city, not going to the suburbs, moving closer to the city, still the south side. They can still get away with the south side, still yep. south, uh, you know, south loop. But it's perfect, and and I saw people, you know, complaining about where would parking be. Obviously, they'll be parking around there or whatever. Yeah. But you know, you can get a, there's Take still a train. a train, a Roosevelt line that gets off right there. Uh, you know, I I think for all of the kind of scare tactics that we saw when this was all first announced about, you know, the White Sox want to leave the great, they want to move out. Where are they going to go? Who knows? And yeah, there's still some craziness that would have to be sorted out. But if this were to come to fruition, I think it would be a wonderful thing for the White Sox. I think it would be a wonderful thing for baseball in the city of Chicago. And I, I would love to go down there and check it out. Yeah, it does look cool. And, and all the renderings are speculative at this point there i've seen some white Sox fans complaining that the um pinwheels aren't prominent enough you can get that stuff figured out no that's a valid criticism what do you mean randall that's a huge part of the white Sox experience going back to old comiskey park that should be prominent it's like building a new wrigley field and not putting ivy in it that would be insane i i just think complaining that they're not prominent enough in renderings is missing a large part of what no. a rendering is, is all. I, I think it's maybe not focusing one's energy where it should be focused. I think it's very important. I think that the first renderings we saw of the Kansas City Royals, new downtown ballpark, I saw lots of fans, myself included, saying, where are the fountains? Those fountains need to be prominent. They just updated the renderings. The whole damn center field are fountains now. So it More is fountains. important that you speak up. More fountains. That's exactly what you need in Kansas City at a ballpark. The problem now with the new Kansas City Park is they don't have the crown vision, which you've got to find a way to work that into a new park as well. That's iconic in Kansas City. I, I think this could be awesome for the White Sox. I think the White Sox moving to the South Loop will increase their attendance. And I think the attendance that they care most about will increase, and that's the corporate attendance. I think all of those businesses and corporations and all the business people, if you could walk from the South Loop into this ballpark and sit in your brand new suite and look at the skyline, that's going to be a good thing for the White Sox. And I think that can actually push the Cubs a little bit if the White Sox are starting to draw better or pulling more of that corporate money. I I see this as being a potential benefit for the Cubs. Now, is this feasible? What are we thinking? Like, is this going to get built for the White Sox in the next decade, let's say? What do you think? Uh, I, with their current demands, I don't think so. I don't think they're getting a billion in public money. And that's a billion in addition to, I believe, they want more hundreds of millions for the surrounding development. So it's not just a billion. It's a billion and a fair bit more. I don't think, as written, that is going to happen, nor should it happen. I don't think you should give Jerry Reinsdorf a billion-plus dollars to develop the Reinsdorf district down there. I think that's irresponsible and i think that's unfeasible in a number of ways and this is kind of a fun wrinkle the revenue stream the tax revenue stream that the white Sox want to tap as as that public money basically if the bears are to build 
a new place in Chicago, they will be fighting for that same money. And it, it's kind of the, like the Sox and the Bears will be fighting for the same tax revenue stream. So that adds a fun wrinkle to it. As their demands are currently written, which is give us a billion dollars in tax revenue to build this ballpark and then even more to develop the land around it. I don't think that is happening and I don't think it should happen because public money for ballparks should not happen. Yeah, I, I think the first thing, obviously, is there's still a little ways to go on this in terms of like the White Sox lease. Is, I don't think they can get out for like another six years. 2029 so, is when their lease ends. Yeah, so five years from now. So you still got a little bit of ways to get this going, but obviously you got to get it going. But uh, I, I think this current kind of climate doesn't seem conducive to uh, Jerry Reinsdorf getting what he wants. Um, you know, especially I, I imagine the Cubs would be pretty pissed because they wanted money and they didn't get any money for their renovations and, and, and work that they did. And they had to make some, a deal with the city. Um, but I but reading like there, I, it does seem like there are some incentives for the state and the city to to try to figure this out, because like they bear they still have like this huge tax bill and, and, and debt from redoing soldier field. And I guess they can retire that debt in certain ways. Now I don't know all the financials behind this, so I'm not going to go out and say anything specific because I don't know anything, but uh, there are ways they, I guess they can retire that debt um, that they can get out of all of that, that, you know, those losses that are piling up if by um, handing out some more money in terms of, uh, of new projects. So as Randall mentioned, the bears, want to tap into that same area. So uh, it's gonna. It sounds like it will be a fight to, for one of them. But so I could see something, I guess, maybe in the future being worked out, uh, maybe under a different governor and a different, who knows, it, down there in Springfield um, when, you know, 2026, 20, 2027, who knows, uh, when they start planning to removing out of the, uh, the stadium. So I, I don't know. I, I, I do think something will eventually happen. I, I don't think the White Sox are long- for where they currently are. No. So I think that they, I, I think they will move somewhere and I think they will get a new stadium. And the question is where, and I, and that's a perfect site for them. So I hope they do get something worked out. I don't want to see Jerry Reinsdorf just get handed, you know, no. billions no. of dollars in tax subsidies. Like, I don't want that either. I agree with you. Like, I don't, I hope that's not the plan to move the White Sox two miles and Jerry, he was, they never paid for a hundred million dollar player to just get a hand out cash but who knows he's 88 years old like who knows if he's even gonna be around to finish this deal right yeah. i'm talking about unfortunately people passing away or whatever so uh it's just it'll be interesting to see but i'm hopeful something does happen and the white Sox are able to stay and move and i think this would be a great location for them yeah yeah the most important thing well they shouldn't get any tax money or, or it should be very, very minimal and strategic and right. require the White Sox to pay for the overwhelming majority of mm -hmm. whatever the ballpark may be. But taking that out of the equation, they need to stay in Chicago. Uh, they definitely need to stay in Chicago land. If you want to sell me on the White Sox building a park in Naperville making sense, I'm not totally for that, but it's better than Nashville. I think yeah. baseball belongs in Nashville. I don't believe the Chicago White Sox are that team that should be in Nashville. Uh, this is a really interesting site, and I have renderings. i got to see if I can find this the next time at ho I'm home. But I remember going on uh, Google Maps back in high school, seeing this plot of land on the river down on the South Loop, and going, wouldn't it be awesome to put a ballpark here? And I have drawings in a notebook somewhere at home of a fictional ballpark. The idea was never it being a White Sox park, and it wasn't the Cubs leaving Wrigley Field. It was just an idea of having that backdrop there. I got to find it because I'm telling you guys, 2005, 
in my room you should in submit Glenview, them. I'm sitting there going, you got to build a ballpark here. Look at this site. You got the river, you got the skyline, you're near the red line, make it so. And, you know, Jerry just waited 20 years or so. And then he said, give me a billion dollars and I'll make it happen, Ronan. Yeah, that's all. You know, they often say that Naperville is the Nashville of the Midwest. So, you know, there might, there might be a good that. fit in that. Nobody says that, but they should. No. No, I was very confused as well. Uh, you should submit those drawings to related Midwest and the White Sox sure. or whoever architectural drawings. Say, okay. Get your, uh, you know, get get a little bit of a royalty on it or something. And say, hey, I had this idea first. Yeah, it uh, it would be kind of cool though. And you know, my parents got a place in Dearborn Park. It'd right, be I was thinking about it. Walk over there to the ballpark. So it'd be cool uh, to see that be the case. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. I do though think think the White Sox moving to the South Loop could. Could be a boost for the Cubs. I do see that being maybe uh, maybe maybe make them push a little bit harder to make things work and to make Wrigley Field um, an even better place moving forward. And and I like the idea of that because a two hundred million dollar payroll and a plea for more revenue is not what I want to hear. I want the Cubs to be the Yankees of the National League Central, and frankly. The White Sox should be the Yankees of the American League Central. I said that to our Tigers friend Kern the other day. I said this White Sox should dominate that division year in and year out. And maybe moving to the South Loop would be the incentive for them to go for it. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens with Jerry, too. Um, there are a lot of fans of the South Side baseball team and the West Side basketball team that are eager to see what comes next uh, after Jerry. And um, it's disappointing that you have to have that type of a conversation, but I think uh, Jerry has earned a lot of that given the way that he's run both of those teams, certainly in the last 30 years. So fortunately we'll we've had that type of conversation too much in the city. Yeah. yeah. And I don't want to have this conversation yeah. about Tom Ricketts 30. Years I agree with now. you. I agree with you. you. Know? God. Well, we'll Randall, see. you got to influence the younger generation. Uh, yeah. You know, I'll do, I do my best. Well, first game Friday, Cubs back at it. We got some home run predictions. Jeremy says it's Dansby, Randall T. Morrell. Patrick Wisdom is my call for the first home run. Uh, if you've got any thoughts, send us a tweet, BTYL Podcast. We'll pop in here in a week or so, talk more Cubs baseball after a couple of W's get under their belt. We'll see you soon.